Good morning. I have a picture by my desk at work that I like to look at. And uh, that's my lovely bride, as lovely as ever. And uh, one of the things I appreciate about that picture is that uh, not just that she is beautiful, but for, for our wedding, she made herself especially beautiful for me. For me, right? We were getting married, and she wanted to look her best. She put makeup on. Typically, my wife doesn't bother with that. She doesn't need it. And, uh, you know, made, made, you know, her hair, you know, had uh, quite a, a very fancy uh, hair, hairdo for that day to make herself beautiful. Make herself beautiful. And as we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians, I get the sense that Paul has the same desire on his heart to make the church beautiful. Make the church beautiful. For who? For her bridegroom, who is Christ. Right? God wants us to make ourselves beautiful for his son. Be his son's beautiful bride. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of water, by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And that is one of the reasons God gave us his word, one of the reasons Paul wrote this epistle, one of the reasons we're studying it, one of the goals we have for ourselves as we study the word of God, that it is used by God to make us more and more beautiful for him. The passage we will study today, uh, I titled Questions to Ask Yourself Before Suing Other Believers. Joy, would you get, come give me a hand, please? And uh, give uh, everybody a copy. Oops, careful. So Joy will be passing out the uh, sheet as I, I like to have it because it tends to keep me on track. I know what I'm supposed to be talking about. And uh, it allows you to, uh, to stay on track with me. I leave some blanks out so you could uh, jot, jot uh, down the answer. You know you got the points of the message. However, however, I've been uh, told by someone that sometimes they find it distracting and they're spending so much time trying to figure out what's the word I'm supposed to write here. They're not listening to my message. So please don't do that. This is not meant to distract you. If you find you're sitting there and listening to me, that's fine. If you find it helpful to use this as a guidance to follow my thought process, hopefully the Lord's thought process in this passage, then go ahead and use it and fill in the blanks. Okay. So to sue or not to sue, or rather questions to ask yourself before suing other Believers, why are we talking about it? Well, in verse 1 of chapter 6, Paul says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? And the phrase here, 
go to law literally means to take somebody to court, to take someone to court. There are any of you, that is you believers, you Corinthian believers, having a matter against another. What kind of matter against another might prompt a believer to take another believer to court? So I spent time trying to think of an illustration. I warned the involved party. They will be people well known to us, but the story is fictitious. It's not true. I helped uh, Brother Jake move uh, a week ago, or was it two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. And uh, one of the items I moved was a very expensive bicycle. It's very expensive because I believe it's made out of graphite that makes it very light and very strong. Carbon fiber, sorry. And uh, so it's a very nice bike. And uh, Jake put a little sticker on it saying, you know, something like, big bucks, please be careful. <laughs> so I was very careful as I handled it. Um, but uh, Brother Jake moved in with Uncle Matt, and uh, they have a very full garage. So I can envision maybe at some times this bike will not fit in the garage. Maybe Jake will park it for a little bit on the driveway. And maybe Uncle Matt, as he comes in from work one day, it's very, he's very tired, it's very hot outside, uh, as the sweat is dripping on his eyes, he can't quite see well as he's backing his car into the driveway, and oops, there is Jake's very expensive bicycle. Well, Uncle Matt is, uh, you know, a faithful brother, and he says, well, I'll have to replace this bike, and he goes and he gets another bike in its place. And uh, Uncle Jake comes home from work uh, later that day, and he looks at that bike, and he says, Uncle Matt, uh, where's my bike? And Uncle Matt explains, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really sorry, but as I was uh, backing into the, uh, the driveway this afternoon, I accidentally broke your bike, but it's okay. I got you a new bike. And Uncle Jake looks at this bike, and he says, Uncle Matt, uh, this, this won't do. And Uncle Matt will say, why not? This is uh, an 18-speed Roadmaster, and uh, it cost me $69 to buy it for you at Walmart. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Uncle Jake is not quite satisfied, and he says, no, uh, Uncle Matt, I would like a bike like my old bike. And Uncle Matt uh, says, okay. And uh, he goes and he does the research, and he finds that to get a bike similar to what he uh, inadvertently destroyed would cost thousands of dollars. And he comes back to Jake and says, I'm sorry, Jake, I, I don't feel right spending so much money on a bike. This bike is fine. It will get you uh, from, from home to work and anywhere else you want to go. It's an 18-speed bike. When I was little, I did not have <laughs> and Uncle Jake, sorry, Jake says, you know, Uncle Matt, this will not do. And, and, and Matt says, I'm sorry, you know, I will not spend thousands of dollars on a bike. And Uncle Jake um, thinks about it and, and goes away. Uh, the next month comes by, and Uncle Matt says to Jake, 
Jake, where is your rent? I haven't, uh, I haven't got the check from you this month. And Jake says, uh, well, my rent is going toward buying myself a new bike. And uh, it'll probably take about six months of rent. And then I'll be able to buy my new bike and I'll start paying rent again. And, and Matt says, no, that's not OK. You know, you're living here. You need to pay rent. And uh, Jake says, make me. And uh, Matt thinks about it a little bit, and he says, OK, I will take you to a small claims court. I will sue you for the rent money. So just a fictitious story of what could lead one believer to sue another. OK, is that OK? Is it OK to sue another believer? And so I have here for you questions to ask yourself before suing another believer. So let's think about these questions here and see how the, this passage helps us think, think through this process. So the first uh, point here is, what did Jesus say? Right? That's always good for a believer before you take an action. Uh, is what did Jesus say about the subject? Does Jesus have anything to say? And he does. Uh, he, he speaks to us about the subject in Matthew chapter 18. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he heals you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Okay, so point 1A would be go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, what's the purpose? So Matt and Jake should be given an opportunity to talk about it themselves. Jake can explain perhaps why the 18-speeder uh, bike from Walmart will not do for his needs. Uh, or maybe Matt could try to explain his point. And the goal here, according to the passage, is to gain your brother. A division has come between two brothers. One feels that he has been wronged by the other, or maybe both feel they've, they've been wronged by each other. And as a result, this brotherhood, this fellowship that believers should enjoy with one another has been broken. And goal number one in God's heart is for the two brothers to be brothers again, for Matt and Jake to be able to enjoy one another's company as they're living together, not be trying to avoid each other, and that would be close quarters to be trying to avoid each other for six months or more. Uh, God's goal is for them to be reconciled, right, to, to love each other, and that's being given the opportunity by the two of them just talking about it. Nobody else needs to know, right? Just the two of them can share about what it is that has happened and try to gain one another's forgiveness, reconciliation, um, making up for whatever the, the person did that's wrong, right? Without involving anybody else 
with the goal of being reconciled. If you can't, if uh, Jake and Matt are not successful resolving it by themselves, they have the opportunity to invite one or two others, right? Take with you one or two others would be the next line. And the idea would be for someone else to help with the reasoning process. Maybe Matt and, uh, and Jake are locked heads and they just can't think straight through it. Having another one or two brothers to help with the situation might allow them to think clearly. Again, involving as few people as possible. We don't want the rumors to spread. We don't want anybody to uh, be unnecessarily offended by what has happened. We want the two of them to be reconciled. Now, if that doesn't help, if uh, it says, um, if he refuses to hear them, so let's say in this particular case, uh, the two brothers will agree with Jake and say, Matt, really, you destroyed a bike that's worth several thousand dollars. We know you have several thousand dollars. Please pay the bill and let's get this dealt with right. But Uncle Matt refuses to heed, to listen to them. That's when you tell it to the church. Right? That's when perhaps the elders are involved, or maybe the rest of the church has the opportunity to again appeal to Matt and get a, uh, a proper resolution of this to happen. And that's what Paul means here when he says, there any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Jesus says, this is a family matter. It needs to be resolved within the saints. Don't involve the world outside, right? So when you go outside of the saints, when you go to a court of law to resolve a difference with another brother, you've stepped outside of the bounds of what Jesus has told us to do. He said, it's a family matter. Keep it within the family. If a person will not listen, at that point, he's put outside of the family, right? When a person will not, will not heed uh, the family, after everybody agrees this is really what needs to be done. Now, the next uh, point I have is uh, who is most qualified to help you? Who is most qualified to help you? Is it the code of law? Are they the ones who could really, really help you when you have a disagreement with another believer? Are they the ones who can really help? They be the ones that will solve the problem. And that's when Paul says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Who is the person most qualified to help us resolve, resolve issues between believers? Some years ago, I was uh, diagnosed with um, a growth in my arm and uh, I wanted to find someone that could help me, right? And I found this guy 
right? He was my doctor. He was the one who did the surgery and he removed the growth from my arm. And I was very concerned to find someone who would be qualified to help me. Uh, as you can tell, this guy was qualified. He's an orthopedic uh, surgical oncologist, right? For those of you who don't know what that means, uh, orthopedic means he deals with the limbs, right? Uh, he's, he's a surgeon and he deals with uh, cancer, right? That's what an oncologist is, my medical staff. Is that correct? Um, so here's a person who, who, who would be the right person to help you with a situation like that. I looked for somebody who's qualified, right? Are the saints qualified or more qualified than the legal system to help you resolve issues between believers? Well, Paul gives you the qualification for the saints here. He says, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? God has a calling for you and for me to be the judges, the rulers of the next age. We will have to resolve much bigger issues than a broken bike. And you know, it will be us and we will have the same qualification then that we will have today. We won't have the sinful body perhaps, but we will have the same word of God to help us, uh, perhaps the same uh, Holy Spirit to help us, a desire to, uh, to glorify God, a desire to bless others, the same resources we have today to resolve issues will be the resources we have then. And God says, what I have given you is good enough to judge the next world. Is it too hard for you to judge this case between uh, two brothers? Right? He adds here that we will also judge angels. And angels may have much more difficult cases to judge between than people. Certainly the ordinary affairs we have today and yet God has equipped believers to be able to judge angels. How much more these relatively small matters we have today. Believers should be qualified to help us with our differences, right? We should not have to go to a court of law. It says here about the court of law, they're being referred to in verse one as the unrighteous, right? Uh, in verse Six, they refer to as unbelievers. In verse four, they are referred to as those who are least esteemed by the church. Now, we are very thankful to God for having a legal system in this country that does have a lot of wisdom in it. Uh, courts of law are probably much better today than they were when Paul wrote this letter in Corinth. There was probably a lot of corruption going on. You could pay the judge to make sure the verdict comes your way. Um, the judge might make a ruling that would benefit them most uh, rather than a ruling that would not benefit them. But today you still have judges that are basically unrighteous. They're not right with God. Now some of them may be believers, that's not always the case. Um, but more or less judges today are interested in who? They're interested in themselves, right? Their own fame. A judge may decide how I rule in this case may help or hinder my career, and that might determine how they will rule in the case. That was the case with uh, Pilate when he was judging over Jesus, and clearly he knew Jesus was an innocent man, but he knew it was going to be damaging for his career to justify Jesus, and so he condemned Jesus to death on the cross. We have basically the same legal system today, a legal system 
Well, the judges think not of you, not of the glory of God, but of themselves. And maybe you'll get a just sentence and maybe you will not, depending on what the judge thinks will work to their advantage. So much better to go before believers who have your good in mind and the glory of God in mind and the wisdom of God and the spirit of God and the word of God. They are better qualified to help you than the court of law. Okay, back to the outline. So uh, number two A, you could say the saints will judge the world, uh, or, or angels, or both. The, uh, number uh, uh, letter B, two B, would be the courts of law are unrighteous and unbelieving. Number three, the question is, who are we following? Who are we following? Is that correct? No, I'm sorry. Number three would be, who are we hurting? Who are, are we hurting? I need to write the answers to make sure that I have them right. Who are we hurting? Or who are you hurting when you are suing another believer? Paul tells us, now therefore, it is al already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. And the answer would be that uh, in A, 3A, a church where brother sues brother is an utter failure. A church where brother sues brother is an utter failure. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The church was supposed to be a body that lives out the love of Christ. Christ loved us and gave himself for us. He died for us on the cross. He showed us his love and then he turns to the believers and he tells them, now I want you to love one another the same way that I have loved you. And so the church is supposed to be a demonstration of Christ's love. And not only will there be a wonderful, beautiful pictures of, of Christ's love, which we sang about, God delights in just seeing us. That, that is the beauty of the church. If you want to know what is a beautiful church, in God's eyes, a beautiful church is a church where the believers love one another and express that love to one another. That is a beautiful church in the, in the eyes of God. But that isn't just to please God, it is also a testimony. It says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. It reveals Christ to the world. Jesus uh, has that same thought in mind in John chapter 17. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. 
and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so the church was designed to be the testimony of Christ, the evidence of Christ really being the one that God sent to save the world. His love to us uh, as revealed at Calvary was supposed to be, is supposed to be preserved in the church and the members of the church loving one another. And the world will come and see love as they've never seen it, never seen it, in the church. People who perhaps have no other reason to love one another other than that love that Christ gave them. And the world realizes here is God's love reaching down to the world. Right? We can preach the gospel, but if there isn't that love in the church, there isn't that evidence of, of Christ really dying for our sins, of, uh, of God's love really reaching down to sinful men, to bring sinful men to himself. That love is supposed to be demonstrated, presented, preserved in the church. Right? And so a church where brother sues brother, now you have a division between two members, I imagine the division is splitting through the church. Some people might hold with one side. Some people might hold with the other. There's a lot of acrimony, a lot of anger, uh, a lot of hurt feelings. If somebody comes to the church and see a church divided and a church where people feel like that toward each other, and then they're trying to tell that person about the love of God and how he sent his son to save us from our sins, right? what testimony is there? Right? It's useless. And that's why Paul says, it is already out of failure for you that you're in this state, right? The church has failed in Corinth because you are suing one another. Okay, so I said, so 3A, a church where a brother sues brother is an out of failure. B, our testimony to the world depends on our love. Our testimony to the world depends on our love. Number four. Number four uh, would be, whose example are you following? Whose example are you following? In our passage, verse eight, he says, no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We are naturally uh, built or designed to follow example. And uh, we've seen it with our children. 
Uh, it's always hardest with your first child to try to train your first child to go the right way. And uh, then you have an advantage when the second one comes along, you teach them, but there's also an example, ideally. And, uh, and the same is true for us, even as adults in the world. Uh, Matt may have been watching a show on TV the previous day about uh, a small claims court and how successful small, small claims court are in giving people what they want. Uh, but that is following a wrong example. It's following the example of the world. And so uh, Paul is listing here the example given to us in the world. It's the example of fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, and extortioners. Right? That is the world in which we live. But he points out that uh, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, as we uh, work with our children, our children will sometimes have very poor examples uh, in, in their classes uh, or on the playground. And we're able to tell that these people who are very poor examples are going to, going to have a very serious problem as they grow up. These are people who will not likely get a good job. Right? These are people who will probably have problems with uh, drugs, uh, may end up as homeless. Even in the eyes of the world, we can tell that these people are really heading in the wrong direction. And so we steer our children away from those examples. Do not follow this person. Don't do what this person does. Don't speak as this person speaks. This is a poor example. In the same way, Paul is opening our eyes to, or the eyes of the Corinthian, these are poor examples. Do not follow them, including taking someone to court. Just because that is how the world settles differences doesn't mean that we should follow their example, right? We should follow Christ's instructions, right, which is to take the matter before the saints. And Paul reminds them what they are like now, how they are different from the world. Verse 11, and such were some of you. It's true, this is the way you used to be, Corinthians. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I listed here some of these terms with explanations for those who need a, a good definition for them. So first, number four was, whose example are you, you following? And then A was, the unrighteous will not inherit the earth. And then B, I, or one, Roman numeral one, would be washed. And that means your sins have been removed by God. We spent an hour this morning worshiping God for the fact that he did cleanse us from our sins. He did take our sins away. Uh, number two, you have, been set, uh, uh, you have been sanctified, so the word would be sanctified there, and that means that we have been set apart to God. When I think of the word sanctified, I often think of the high priest uh, in uh, the day of, uh, uh, days of Israel. Here was a person that God took apart. Aaron was just the same as all the other 
Israelites, he wasn't a better person. He had some serious issues. But God takes him aside and he makes him the high priest and he puts special garments on him and he has him go through special dedication ceremonies. And at the end of them, Aaron is the high priest and he can effectively minister as God's high priest for the nation of Israel and offer sacrifice for the people. And God would accept him and he could... Uh, do great good for the nation of Israel because he was sanctified. In the same way you and I have been sanctified, God has taken us out of this world and set us apart uh, to be, let me read uh, Revelation. Uh, actually, Michael had us read the same verse this morning. We did not exchange notes. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5b to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, that's what Michael read to us this morning, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So God has taken us aside and he has made us priests. Now we can stand before God being righteous before him. We can appeal to a lost world. We can offer sacrifices to God that are pleasing to him, spiritual sacrifices, our lives in a way that pleases God. Right? He has changed us. We're not in the place of the rest of the people living in Corinth or even in the world. We have been set apart by God for a specific responsibility of being priests and kings to our God. Right? Our lives should be very different from that of the Corinthians. And be Roman numeral three, uh, we have been justified. We have been declared righteous by God. And as a result, we should be living very different lives. Um, so far, we focus on the negative. What is it that we shouldn't do? We shouldn't be suing one another, right? But there is the opposite, which is what we should do. Well, we should be practicing love toward one another. Uh, it doesn't have to be... Uh, a, uh, you know, going and, and telling somebody that you love them. You could certainly do that. Uh, it could be in in practical way of showing love. We had uh, two moves over the past two weeks, right? And, and people showed up, and they helped the people who needed help move, right? That was showing love. It was affirming your love uh, to a person. My wife uh, mentioned an example of a person who, who said something in passing that was uh, offensive to her. She didn't appreciate what the person said, even though the person uh, did not mean to hurt my wife. And the Lord convicted this other lady about it, and the next time she saw my wife, she apologized to her. She, she said, you know, I said this, and afterward I realized that could have been hurtful. And she made the effort to go and to reconcile, right? Uh, and in the same way, as soon as we feel that there's been any offense given to any other brother or sister, uh, we could step forward. We don't have to wait for a lawsuit. <laughs> Probably there wouldn't be one at this church, not after this message. But uh, you, could, you could say, you know, I, I realize I said this or I did this, and, and that was unkind, ungracious. Please forgive me. You know, here's some brownies I made for you. <laughs> Finding, finding ways of showing love to one another. Uh, in this passage, 
Paul gave a couple of practical examples of showing this love, trying to save the church from failure. He said, uh, why do you not rather accept wrong? Right? Uh, Jake could have decided, you know what? You know, uh, Brother Matt has a real issue spending thousands of dollars on a bike. Uh, I, can make, I can make a big deal out of it and make him buy me a new bike. Or I can just let it go, you know, for the sake of the church, for the sake of Christ. I'm just going to let it go. Right? It's an option that we have. It's a sacrifice. It would be a great sacrifice uh, for Jake to make, but he has that option. We can offer our lives to God. Right? Instead of trying to claim our rights, uh, everything we do, do as a love offering for God, including accepting uh, wrong by others, including allowing ourselves to be cheated, as this passage uh, says. We don't, we don't have to claim our rights. We can live a life dedicated to God instead. As final thought that I had uh, for this passage, we started talking about making ourselves beautiful uh, to God. And, and that connects with what I just said, really living a life dedicated to loving others, uh, first the church and then anyone else. Right? We, we don't have to limit our, our love to the church. And uh, starting thinking about it, what is, what is beauty? was the first uh, thought that we need to settle. How do we make ourselves beautiful? Uh, for my wife, uh, it was putting on makeup. It was having a hairdo. For us, beauty really is, uh, is, is exhibiting the character of Christ. Revelation chapter 19 tells us, uh, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. So here we have in the scripture a description for us meeting our Savior. And it says, his wife has made herself ready. She has made herself beautiful. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. So here we have for us, what is it that God, that Christ will find beautiful on that day when we meet him? And it says that it will be the righteous acts of the saints. Now, I was reading a number of commentaries. I mentioned to Jake, my commentary is a little bit limited in that, uh, you could play that again if you like. My commentary is a little bit limited because it has all the old translations of the Bible. It doesn't have the new translation. In the old translation, this verse often is translated as... Um, the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And all the commentators immediately jump to saying, well, it's the righteousness of the saints that was given to them by Christ. And uh, we, we tend to think like that. We even sing it. We have a hymn that says that when I meet him, I will be dressed in his righteousness alone. 
right? We, we don't want any of our own righteousness, right? We just want the righteousness of Christ because ours is defiled, right? And yet in this verse, and uh, all the new translations agree, it doesn't mean the righteousness of Christ. It actually means the righteous acts of the saints will be what we put on. And I was trying to think about that. How is it that it is our righteous acts that will make us beautiful in his sight? And uh, the illustration I came up with was that of snowflakes. Something interesting about snowflakes, first of all, they are beautiful, aren't they? You've been watching them for the last couple of minutes. Maybe you've been listening to me too, but certainly you've been watching them. They're beautiful. And yet, they are every one of them different. And scientists will agree that every single snowflake ever created was different. No two single snowflakes were the same. And we're talking about trillions of snowflakes, right, that have fallen down on this earth. All beautiful and all of them different. And I was thinking, what a picture of the believer's life. Because we are, our life is beautiful to God if we exhibit the righteousness of Christ, right? It's God who watches from heaven, and when his son was here, he said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. God could look down from heaven on Jesus and be pleased with every thought and every action that the Lord Jesus made. With you and with me, there is a lot of sin in our lives, and yet God is making the righteousness of Christ develop in us. We're told in Romans 8 that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Christ reveals himself in our life. As we study the life of Christ, as we are enabled by Christ to live out his life, that's what it means that we were sanctified, right? We were enabled uh, we were given a new nature, a nature like Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit to give us a desire to live a life like Christ. And so, really, it is Christ that is projecting himself through us in our actions. So when you choose to show love to another believer or an unbeliever, right, you are living out the life of Christ. Just like these snowflakes are living out this principle that God has designed, right? The reason they're beautiful is they're made out of pure water molecules. And this pure water molecule will come together and they will form crystals. And the crystals will develop in this manner that goes along these physical principles that God has set. And so they develop in this different shape depending on the conditions around them. And the same is true for our lives as believers. We're all different. No two of us are the same because we each have something different about us that God is starting with. And we're each set in a somewhat different environment. And that is causing us to develop in different ways. Yet in all of us, there is the righteousness of Christ right? that he gave us and that he desires to live out of our lives. And as we choose to live that life, instead of suing one another, we choose to show one another love, then we are, if you would little snowflakes of Christ, showing forth his righteousness. And so, brothers and sisters, your life matters. Your life has the potential 
of exhibiting the righteousness of Christ, of being beautiful, of being something that you will put on in pride as the bridegroom comes to receive you, because it is beautiful. It is the righteousness of Christ lived out in you. You have the power, you have the ability to choose to be beautiful, because Christ has given you that power. And so, brothers and sisters, let us be beautiful, and let us be beautiful for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness toward us. We recognize that, uh, that Christ loved us, Lord, though we were in our sins uh, with all our imperfections. You loved us, and you saved us, Lord. You saved us from sin. You've given us the opportunity, the power to live a life that glorifies you, a life that exhibits your righteousness, a life that you delight in and that we and others can delight in also. Lord, help us uh, not lose this opportunity because of uh, frictions in this world. Uh, we know we are surrounded by other believers like us who are also sinful. It is easy for us to take offense at what they do, but we recognize that that will lead to the failure of the church. We don't want the church to be a failure. We want it to be, uh, to be a resounding success. We want Calvary Bible Chapel to be a resounding success, both in believers showing your love, delighting your heart, delighting our hearts, and also in being that testimony to the world so other people can see you through us. So we pray, ask these things. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord, we pray that they too will be attracted to you because of your beauty and find in you their all-sufficient Savior. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.